episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nitin. What's good, Nitin? First and foremost, Karthik, I want to extend my deepest condolences uh, for what was a hard-fought, but ultimately, um, you know, not quite enough series for the Sacramento Kings in round one. I don't remember when we last recorded. I think it was after game four five or is after game four because i remember fox had just broken his finger the way things played out you would have thought the warriors would close in six kings put up one last great fight winning in golden state but you got 50 bombed man that must have hurt to 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 clinch it yeah it was it was tough to watch but it's one of those things where if you're gonna go down to a great that's fine i'll live with it if it was a situation where Draymond hit five threes or Poole went off, that would be a lot harder to stomach. But I just, you know, I don't know. It, it was a gut punch. I haven't had a playoff series loss in, since high school. I forgot what that felt like. Um, and the game seven, I mean, luckily this game was done by pretty much the third quarter, but it was uh, disheartening, man, because it felt like it, we were, it was there for the taking. We got what we wanted, you know, an opportunity to close out at home. Fox was hobbled, but playing well enough that that was not going to be an excuse. And Curry just, <laughs> Curry did Curry things. And and you could see the team just got deflated and this happens. And we started missing shots and it steamrolled pretty quickly. Well, it's funny because it reminded me a lot when you talk about gut punch of the Wizards Celtics series, like in 2017 where we were probably the favorite, but they had more pedigree. And granted, they did not have anywhere close to an all-time player like Steph. But you still lose a game seven where you leave it being like, technically, you know, we might have been the underdogs, but we should have won that series. And I think that's what Sacramento is doing. Now, the difference being they were playing on their home floor. But it's crazy, man. Like, every defender's keyed in on one guy, and they still run that offense through him. He's just outrageous. Looney is putting Sabonis into a locker. Um, but nonetheless, it's not about the end destination. It's about the friends we made along the way. Uh, always keep that in mind, uh, you know, because there's only one team that can hold up the trophy. The Kings were not that team, but as far as next season goes, if you think about the teams that got eliminated round one, I feel about as good about the Kings as I do maybe any of those squads outside of, I guess, Milwaukee, right? Because they have Giannis. Other than that, I mean, Clippers, who knows? At least in the West, right? Clippers, who knows what they're going to do or what they're going to come back with. Memphis has already punted Dylan Brooks into the solar system like three days after they were eliminated. And Minnesota is kind of in flux. So as far as next season is concerned, we're looking way, way ahead. Who knows what's going to happen? I got to think this is a good building block and something that I expect to be, you know, maybe they're not the three seed, but they're, I expect them to be in the playoffs next year, not just like a one-year blip because of a bunch of extraneous factors. I'm convinced the success is sustainable. I really am. I, I think the way they play, how hard they play, the fact that they're young. And and I think what, ha- what happens in the playoffs is everything gets magnified, right? Like we watch Sabonis and everyone's like, Sabonis is trash. He sucks. He can't be peace moving forward. You watch Barnes, you know, crumble under pressure. And I, I think this always happens even with good teams in the playoffs where you're, you just, the, the bad, the flaws get magnified and then you get, everyone gets down on them. So people are like, Oh, Sabonis is not that good. How good are the Kings be when the West is better next year? But I think the way this team is coached, the way they're built their regular season juggernaut, they'll probably be a five or six seed next year just because the West is better, but I don't see them falling into the play in barring 
some crazy injury. So I, I like the progress. I think we're on the right track. There are areas we'll have to improve with big man depth. The wing position could be improved. I don't know if Harrison Barnes is going to be the answer at the four, but uh, no, a, a quick uh, preview. No, <laughs> but, but look, Fox, I think one of the most exciting things from the series is we have a bona fide star. I think Fox proved that uh, he, he didn't end the series as strong, but you know, part of it's the finger. And I think that type of play that we can get from our star it, that bodes well for the postseason. That bodes well for the seasons to come. I'm uh, I'm I'm optimistic. So you know, I, I it took me a while to get over it, but I'm very optimistic. And Monty McNair just won Executive of the Year. So <laughs> yeah, you guys are cleaning up the award slate, uh, which is a nice uh, you know consolation prize. But that's enough Kings talk. You got way more shine on this podcast than we could have ever imagined at the start of the season. I mean. The number of episodes that have featured or led with the Kings is really setting all-time records. It was the first, though. It was the first of our friendship where the Kings were actually good. So it was important for us to discuss. Now let's move on to the teams that are still in play. we got eight teams left, four series. Here's where we stand right now. So this is uh, Wednesday night. The Celtics just beat the brains uh, out of the, the Sixers, 121-87, to tie that series up at eight, uh, one apiece. You pretty much knew that they were going to come out guns blazing. No way they were going down 2-0 at home. The Heat and Knicks are tied up at 1-1. Kind of a hard series to figure out because Butler didn't play in Game 2. Randall didn't play in Game 1. So still waiting to see both teams at full strength. The Nuggets, uh, 2-0 over the Suns. They continue to look very dominant and very at ease with their opponents thus far. So they're 6-1 in the playoffs. And honestly, don't feel like they've really been tested beyond you know, a couple runs here and there by the Timberwolves and really not even too much by the Suns. Those have both been double-digit wins. And then finally, the real show, the Golden State Warriors versus the Los Angeles Lakers. Unbelievable that we actually got this matchup, not just because they were both lower seeds, but they were jockeying around so, so much. I mean, what did the, you know, five through nine finish within a game or two of each other in the West? You had absolutely no idea where these all were going to end up. We have seen Curry versus LeBron once before in the West, but it was in the play-in game. Uh, LeBron was seeing three baskets. Somehow he still managed to hit the game winner. So it didn't count as an official playoff game. This is the first time they've matched up in the playoffs, both of them you know, playing on teams that are absolutely surging right now. Let's start here. Firstly, big picture question for you. This is now the fifth time they've gone up against one another in the playoffs. You could throw two of the series out, right, because of Durant and just kind of how much uh, of an unfair advantage that was. It's really 1-1. Do you put any credence into the result of this series in the Curry-LeBron rivalry? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, look, this is a broken down LeBron at this point. The way... <laughs> he averaged 30 points a game this season. He's not he's the best player down. on this team. I, I mean, I, would you agree with that? I, I don't think he's been the best player on the team since 2020. I mean, I think he's he's sometimes been the best just by virtue of you're not always getting the uh, fully healthy AD. I think this year AD is yes, finally fair. like that's when fair. he has played has looked healthy and dominant. Yeah, I'll put it this way. I'll put it this way. The last time they were in the playoffs was 2021, where they lost in round one for Phoenix. But really, the last time they were a threat, AD was the best player in the bubble. But even then, I think LeBron was – I still think he was the best player in the finals. 
He was in the finals, but so, I think all year you look at that defense, the fulcrum of it was really what carried them forward. And AD is when locked in and when healthy, the best defender in the world. All this to say, I don't think we can take anything from this series away because LeBron is playing second fiddle to AD. He's playing more off ball. He's he's just not the same player. He, you know, he was towards the end of the last game. He's gas. He's settling for those threes when he hasn't shot above thirty percent. I don't know how long and. You know, that last play toward, like with under 30 seconds left should have been a, a straight drive to the rim. And instead, he settled for a really bad three. I, I just don't think at this stage of his career, you can compare him to Steph because Steph still is the engine of that Warriors offense. And we saw him drop 50. We see the inconsistency with Wiggins, with Poole, with all of these guys. It really is still his show. So I'm not taking anything away from it. I think it's just fun as a basketball fan because... These are the two biggest names in, in the league. I still don't think Giannis is, even though with the MVPs, he doesn't have the same cachet still as like these two guys. So, That's because he rotates deep runs with getting waxed and embarrassed in the playoffs, and nobody understands why. Which is another thing we can maybe discuss. But I, I, uh, I, I'll tell you this. I was not that excited for this series because I hate both teams. But watching yes. that game one was, man... That was entertaining. The teams are very different stylistically. It was, um, I think, what the NBA was hoping for and what we all got. Yeah, I mean, look, the game was so fascinating because there's multiple times it looked like the Lakers had seized control, none more than when they actually went up 112-98, right? And you're like, okay, Warriors are tired. Let's pack it in. But they do what the goddamn Warriors always do, which is timely stops, out in transition, big, big threes, Random dudes are cutting, weaving, Curry's finding a way to get open, and suddenly it's literally tied. And it wasn't until a D'Angelo Russell kind of floater, which in itself looked like it wasn't going to go in, the Lakers regained the lead and pretty much were able to hold them off at the end. I think that this is going to go six or seven. Um, not very uh, astute of a comment, <laughs> but in general. like I just think it's going to be a long series. And to your point, stylistically, it's so interesting to watch. I mean, the, the numbers almost don't make sense, right? Like the Warriors hit 21 threes. The Lakers hit six. So they're plus 15 from the three-point line, which is 45 extra points. Then the Lakers shot 25 free, of 29 from the free throw line. The Warriors went five of six. And it wasn't unfairly called, right? The, the, the Lakers blew everyone out the season in terms of free throws attempted and made. Some of that might have been a little bit of home cooking, a little bit of, you know, refs dressed in purple and gold like we've seen over the years. But a lot of it is just they're so physical. Um, and it's not just LeBron and AD. It's Rui. It's Vanderbilt. You know, it's other guys. It's D'Lo getting downhill. So they have a lot of – even Austin Reeves is more physical than you think. So they have a lot of dudes who are just putting a lot of pressure on the rim. The 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 thing I worry about is if you go back and look at the Warriors game seven versus, uh, versus the Kings, outside of Steph, their next two leading scorers shot like eight of 32 or something like that. And that just speaks to his greatness. But what it also speaks to is how reliant they continue to be on him to be a superhero every night. Um, and, you know, Wiggins is working his way back in shape. Clay will have big games at times, but, you know, he'll also shoot at, shoot him out of the gym at times. And I just don't know where they're going to get enough offense versus this Lakers defense, you know, four out of six times to win the series. Well, that's the thing. The Warriors offense is not just predicated on threes. It's predicated on... Because of the three-point threat, you open the backdoor cuts. You've got Draymond as that second ball handler, kind of top of the key, dishing it out. And you get those easy buckets for GP2, for um, Wiggins. Like, even Looney gets some dump-offs. I think with AD, he's snuffing all that out. 
it's it's insane, man. Like he's been so good defensively watching him roam and he's snuffing all that out. And so the Warriors have to settle for those shots and they hit 21. You're not going to hit that many. You can't rely on pool to be consistent. You'll get a better game out of Steph maybe because he was pretty inconsistent till the end. But you can't rely on that. And I think they're going to have to find like Wiggins, I think, is going to have to play a larger offensive role. Um, they're going to have to find ways to score outside of relying on the three-point threat. But um, and, 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 you know, the Lakers, I don't think what they did offensively, too, it, it wasn't – nothing made me convinced that they were going to win the series either. I think they were also pretty shaky. Vanderbilt was yeah. a huge loss for them offensively uh, to the point where Ham was not – didn't trust him playing towards the end, and that's when Curry kind of started to go off. So you have those trade-offs, right? D'Lo and and Vanderbilt and Schroeder. So I don't trust Ham necessarily to make all the right adjustments either. But based on game one, definitely more promising for the Lakers given that that three-point discrepancy they were able to survive. Yeah, Vanderbilt was huge because Curry, he wasn't really as inconsistent as he was absent, right? He didn't score from the end of the first quarter to midway through the third. And then he didn't. He only had three points with total between the second and third quarters before he went off for 14 here in the fourth. And to your point, this is going to be a fascinating chess match because it's a very much a offense-defense question, right? Vanderbilt was top-locking Curry. He was fighting over every screen. He was staying on top of him, funneling him towards Davis. So Curry really didn't have room to operate at the three-point line. And anytime he got close to the rim, Davis was there to absolutely erase, you know, the shot or challenge. I thought I think I saw a stat that he challenged over 30 shots. Uh, that game and you know they shot really poorly at the rim you know they just couldn't do anything there right like if you look at their two-point percentage it was significantly worse than their one uh three-point percentage or at least a little bit worse than the three-point percentage so amazing defensive performance by anthony davis and vanderbilt but i think they had just enough gas to get by the real question is what happens if that run starts a little earlier right where are they going to get the offense when lebron is not a turn back the clock lebron very often he can do it in spurts. Like, you know, you're talking about going to the rim. I'm thinking about Minnesota um, in the play-in game where he, I think, tied it um, to go to overtime or won it in overtime. I can't remember what that yep. drive. The, the drive versus Memphis, and I think it was game three or four where he got the and one versus Dylan Brooks, right? So he can do it at times. But even look at tonight, he's one of eight. He's nine of 24. He's just not getting easy looks because he cannot elevate. He can't burst his way through and they finally fucking called the cat crab dribble <laughs> that wasn't crab dribble. this was more obvious than 17 any other years thing after he pulled that shit <laughs> against the wizards against gilbert arenas and antoine jameson along the baseline oh, they yeah. finally called it i've been i mean i probably can retire as a basketball fan they finally did it they did i was yeah that, and he didn't even argue against it that was actually the most surprising part he knew it was so blatant he didn't yeah even he's like i've been getting away with at least fifteen thousand of my thirty-eight thousand were because of this move yeah. so let me <laughs> okay okay let's calm let, down let me ask you a question do you think if this series let's say it's game six or seven right and the lakers are clinching and they're up like 25 in the clinching game do you think draymond shoots on his own basket to say <laughs> like hey i would love to play one time with lebron and share the floor with them Dude, Draymond is it's unbelievable, man. Even after the game, he had to go on the pod and talk about we've never seen this version of LeBron before. We couldn't be prepared. He's, you know, the floor general playing off ball, you know, use he's like, dude, you you don't have to suck him off right after game one. Like just It's crazy, dude. 
<laughs> and then the story report leaked like that he was trying to fly to the game oh. instead of being with his own team when he broke the record. And we were joking about that on our thread, and it literally was like the actual truth. And Kerr's like, dude, put it back in your pants. Like we have an actual season to play out. Yeah, I think I think the Warriors, you know, the beginning of the game, they just looked they didn't look as spry. Um yeah, Curry didn't sense, look as spry. Right? I get it, you're you know, it's only two days rest. Um, I was like, man, where's this Curry? Like he seemed to become just jogging around, wasn't running as hard. I think the challenge for the Lakers is in that last 14 0 run, they were scrambling defensively. And I think if Golden State can kind of get that pace up and you know, get those switches, get them confused on the back end, they can really make this a series. And I don't think they played like that for most of the game, but the end of the game was a little bit of a teaser of what they could possibly do. So I actually, I think this yeah. is going to be a very close series. I agree. Six, seven, it's nothing bold to say, but I do think, I mean, I, I think they'll Golden State will handily win game two. I don't think there's any, I, I think so. I, I do like the Lakers in this series. Um, probably in six would be my prediction. Um, that's what I was leaning for, but I mean, nobody can prove this except me, but I was leaning that way before game one. Obviously now it feels like if Lakers in six, if you had to pick one singular, um, you know, prediction, that's probably the best odds. Um, it's interesting. Like imagine if Golden State did played Memphis round one and the Lakers played the Kings in one and five, how much more tired Golden State would be, right? Like we actually joked about how they wanted the Kings because of this light travel, that may have ended up working their favor. I mean, the Lakers made four cross-country trips, but because they wrapped up the series early, they are able to get back in L.A. for the last, like, five, six days. I mean, Golden State had 90-minute trips, but if those were cross-country, I think the miles and wear and tear would be even further than it is. And so I expect them to rebound. I mean, they play a lot, right? They played Tuesday. They're going to play Thursday, Saturday. So it's going to move quickly. Um, we'll see what that does to the legs of uh, both teams, especially the older players. Yeah, and AD, I don't know, man. I'm still the health thing. I know he's been healthy now, but it still lingers in the back of your head. Will AD go down at he, some he, point? It happened in 2021. Yeah, um, but he's missed three games total since he came back. In I know that's what I'm saying. Like he's been healthy, so there's no reason to believe it'll happen. But that's always looming in the back of your head. Like this is, it's hard to expect Kevon, a completely clean bill of health. When did Kevon Looney turn into Moses Malone? Dude, I'm so like happy was, he got 20-something rebounds because everyone is just like, oh, you turn Looney into friggin' Wilt Chamberlain. <laughs> That's how bad Sabonis is. He did that on AD as well. I, I'm, And he's making, what, $8 million a year? It's a joke. It's nothing. As yeah. your UCLA boy. That's my boy, yeah. And, you know, he was always highly touted as a recruit and everything, but just the injuries and his knees and his, his hip, not his knees. It was just totally messed. I never saw him becoming this type of player. This I'm sure nobody except you and then I guess me have seen this, but like if you go back and look at some of his freshman year UCLA clips, he's like taking dudes off the dribble. He's like got a little bit of a moves package. He could shoot from the outside. Like the version that you see now, which is like a not a stiff, but just like a skillless big versus what he was playing like just, you know, six, six, seven years ago are night and day. He's a totally different player. It's really funny because Kevin Love at UCLA was a back to the post, um, you know, would score all his points in the paint. And then he turned into like this like three-point threat, and Looney kind of went from this very skilled big and kind of dribble from the post to just a stiff. I mean, that's it's a good the- reminder of how damn good NBA players are, right? Where a guy with that type of skill set can still has still has to be a role player. Or but- maybe it's also like 
athleticism was zapped a little bit because of the hips and everything else like that. Yeah, but what what could have been too, right? Like he was he was a really talented player. But trade him to the Wizards. We'll give him twenty shots a game. <laughs> um, all right. And the last thing I would quickly say on this series is Austin Reeves, you know, he is truly amazing, like just from where he came from, undrafted rookie out of Oklahoma to becoming like a legit guy. He's I think it's him, LeBron and AD are like the three lock crunch time players. And I did not see that coming. You, you kind of didn't know even post deadline. It's like, okay, we have LeBron and AD on the floor. The other three will rotate. No, he's got to be out there. Uh, He's a two way player and amazing, amazing progression from him. So I just want to shout him out. If you're able to get LeBron's trust, uh, like, like he has, and LeBron's hyping you up after games, that's a that's a big deal, and and they need like I think Davis as good as he is, at the end of a game crunch time possessions he's not a guy that can kind of take it from the top of the key and, and make something happen. I mean he can, but you'd rather have the ball in a guy like Reeves' hand, who can who's a threat to drive, threat to kick it out, good at drawing contact, and then letting LeBron play off ball so you can't fall asleep either. It helps provide another dimension to their offense where. You know, D'Angelo Russell's not that guy. You know, he'll he'll settle for threes. Schroeder, mm-hmm. to some extent, is not, you know, can score, but he's not that guy either. I think the package Reeves brings really helps them out in those late-game situations. And they trust him, yep. so. Yeah, I mean, he's making plays. He's not turning the ball over. He's shooting at a high percentage. Like, what more do you want from this guy? Lastly on this series, Jordan Poole. That shot, yay or nay in your mind? Uh, bad shot, but I, I, I just so I mean, there a couple it, schools it, of thought. It's a little, it's, it's boomeranging a little bit. Where now people are starting to be like, well, he was open. He was open, and you know, I get it. Like, okay, people, some people say you take a foot in, but whatever. Like, if you take a foot in, you're getting a contest. It's getting contested a little bit better. I just think you're only down. Uh, what you're down three. There's ten seconds left. Pump fake it, drive to the rim. If you score, there's still enough time. Or kick it out and let Steph or Clay get a shot. I think if, if he pump faked hard and then drove to the rim, you could have gotten a better outcome. Or just kick it to Steph and live with Steph getting smothered and throwing up a wild prayer. I'll take anything over a like that 30-foot shot from Poole. <laughs> I just, they weren't letting Steph shoot. So it feels like that's out of the equation. They were doubling him, basically, coming off Draymond to double him which is the right call. And so then it was just a matter of like, could you get Clay a look or is Poole just going to jack it? Bad shot. I think because it was Jordan Poole, everyone wants to like clown him more because he's had a little bit of a rough go. But he'd been playing well. He had six six threes. Um, by the way, first ever trio of teammates to all have six threes in a game. Um, but nonetheless, I don't know. Like, here's the thing. A lot of people are like, well, you have eight seconds left on the shot clock, but you have to get a three. It's not like you have to get to the basket. So having an open look for a guy with that type of range I'm also sort of now being like, well, what are you going to do? Like, you're definitely going to get a better look with everyone scrambling around and the Lakers, you know, hounding each each of their other three-point shooters. I'm not sure you will. Yeah, maybe. But it's one of those things where the moment I saw him take that shot, despite how he's been – he was relatively decent all game, I knew it was missing. Like, I, you just knew. And yeah, the, the fact that I didn't even think about it going in it, it says everything. He weirdly does not scare me as an offensive player, 
despite the fact that his numbers would indicate, generally speaking, that he is, you know, he didn't shoot the ball well this year, but he shot it well last year. And even then, it never feel, I've never felt fear watching him on the court. I always felt like fear if you were rooting for the Warriors or betting on the Warriors. And I think when he gets confident, he starts, he just goes away from the offense. He's just isoing on the perimeter, putting up wild shots. So for me, whenever I'm my team is playing against the Warriors, I like it when Poole gets going early because then you know yeah. he's going to get the green light to keep firing, and that's never a recipe for success. Last year, he did pretty well in the postseason, I think even in the finals, but he played a very different role. He played a more, like, it, literally this year, I feel like he's just been unhinged. Well, he got the new contract. He started a lot, right, because between Steph injuries and Clay's injuries and Wiggins, he actually started a decent number of games until they finally moved him back to the bench for DiVincenzo. And so I think in a starter role, in a role where he's allowed some room to cook, he's more effective. But he reminds me of like the the Emmanuel Quickly debate right now. I think Quickly's played better this season, is probably a better player than Poole. But the same concept of like he's not a guy who in spot duty is going to be the same as if you give him like 32 minutes a game and 20 shots. So, And and by the way, Dante DiVincenzo? Utterly useless. Mm-hmm. What a useless player. Kings fans don't like him because he trashed us on the way out. So he's not giving them defense. He's not giving them any sort of offense. He's, I don't know what he's doing out there. I mean, he's played pretty well this season. So I'm not going to like destroy him for a, a rough couple of games here. But, but yeah, I mean, these are bit players. They're always going to go up and down. You can't rely on them. That's, that's why the stars have to be as great as they will. All to say, Anthony Davis, he's had some clunkers in this playoffs. He's had some magical moments in these playoffs. So he needs to figure out a way to bring that every night. Um, all right, let's move on. We got to go Nuggets, Suns. I think that's the next most compelling series. Just because the Nuggets traded four, for, or sorry, the Suns traded four first, Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder for Kevin Durant, TJ Warren. They were 13-1, and one, I think, going into this series. However, if you broke it down, they basically played no one at full strength. Literally no one at full strength minus a Dallas team on that one Sunday matinee game, if you remember, with Kyrie and Luka. And that team didn't even end up making the damn play-in. So it was very strange to me how much they rested guys down the stretch. They played, you know, the Lakers played their starters the Friday night before the regular season. The Suns didn't. Then the Suns played um, the Clippers, I think, on that following Sunday. Again, could have knocked the Clippers out of the 4-5 if they wanted to, didn't play their guys. So it was all about rest and health, which I get unless you've had like 10 total games with your core and you have absolutely no bench to speak of and you don't even have like two and a half starters really sometimes. The Nuggets, meanwhile, complete machine. Um, Jokic is just playing at another level right now. Um, This may be the best he's ever looked. Frankly, just in terms of reading the game, understanding the game. You surprised though by this by this lead? I mean, the Suns were my title pick over the Bucks. I just I just said that damn it, experience, you know, camaraderie, chemistry doesn't matter. They got Durant and Booker, they're gonna ride. So are you surprised the Nuggets are up two zero in a pretty resounding fashion? Very surprised. I feel bad being the surprised. I think we've all kind of overlooked Denver. I I think there's, I just don't see, what are the promising signs for, for Phoenix after the first two games? The only thing for me is they played them in Denver. I I have so many questions about uh, Chris Paul now with his injury. Not that he was giving them that much, but 
their depth is really waning. Like we talked about the depth. Everyone's talked about the depth. This is not a new revelation, but it is bad. Like a Kogi, uh, Tory Craig that started a Kogi, you know, he first got cooked in game one by Jamal Murray, but he did a really good job on him this game, but offensively he's not giving you anything. And so now do you go back to Tory Craig? Um, who can give you at least a little bit more offensively. You need some kind of spark plug. And I think with this team, it's not coming from anywhere. <clears throat> You're already maximizing Durant and Booker playing 44 minutes, 45 minutes. Where is the offense going to come from? Like the fact that they put up 87, Denver did a masterful job defensively, but 87 points for a team with Durant and Booker is a joke. So I I am yeah. actually... <clears throat> I don't see a lot of, uh, you know, moves on the chessboard for Monty Williams to make. And that's kind of what's worrying me um, with this team. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about it, they only have 14 points in the damn fourth quarter, right? When the game was literally within reach going into the fourth. And a lot of it did change on that Chris Paul injury. He wasn't playing great before then, but they actually took, I think, a five point lead. I think they were 58 53. He had hit like two or three straight jumpers, you know, coming off that left to right drag that he always does um, in, in mid-range, mid-range jumpers. And it looked like he was starting to get a little bit more comfortable. They were getting some pressure off Booker and off Durant. He gets hurt. Campaign has one of the most disastrous runs in the second half there. Josh Okogi is scared to shoot four-foot jumpers. I mean, it's a total train wreck. And then Booker, sorry, Durant on top of that was horrible. He was absolutely terrible. He was Breaking 10 of 27, three. bricking everything. I think he shot two of 11 from three by the end of that game. And yeah, two for 12. Two for 12. And and part of the problem, I think, I realized, I was thinking about this, part of the problem is not the minutes on Durant and Booker. They can go that much. I mean, we saw Durant play all 48 minutes in the run with the Bucks. Uh, sorry, with the Nets versus Bucks series, right? He was literally playing all 48 plus OT. He was playing 53 minutes of the, of the game. Like, it was nothing. That's not the issue. The issue is they have to be literally excellent every moment of every game for them to win. And the games they won versus the Clippers, they were both awesome. The games they lost so far this series, one or both has not been very good. And usually it's been Durant, right? Because Booker's been one of the better players of the playoffs. So it's just too much relying on those two. It's very similar to what we saw last year with the Boston-Brooklyn series, where they just keyed in on Durant. He struggled, turned the ball over, shot poorly. Kyrie, same thing, because there were just no threats around the floor. Now you run into a very similar situation where they're just doing it to Booker instead of Kyrie. And Denver has so many wings, Gordon, KCP, even Michael Porter can bother guys. Sometimes now he's getting a little bit better, Bruce Brown. And so as long as Jokic, who's going to continue to be unguardable, is going to stabilize the offense and keep them humming along, defensively they can get in your shorts when it's a one-dimensional team like what we're seeing with Phoenix. So to your point, they're going home. Uh, needless to say, Friday night is a must win. They do, they randomly were given this whole week off. So they don't, they played Monday. Now they now play Friday and we'll see if that gives enough time for Paul to get back because it's not just about who replaces Paul. It's who replaces Paul's replacement. Yep. And that's the big issue, right? With any of these injuries. And that's what happened with Memphis with Tyus Jones, but his, his backup, it's going to happen, you know, in Phoenix, if he can't play. What are your thoughts on Jokic so far? I mean, we've, we know Jokic is good, but like, have you, has anything surprised you this postseason with his performance? No, but I think we forgot how malleable he is based on the scenario that he's around. And because last couple of years he was forced into a much bigger scoring burden, 
And this year we would get mad at him when he would shoot like five times in a game or eight times in a game, especially if they would lose those games. But you look at him now and it's like, he's anything you want him to be. And he is the highest floor player in the league uh, night to night. Um, no other player, maybe Giannis would be the only other option, but no other player in the league gives you a higher floor as a team um, because of just how much he's able to kind of control everything offensively. And if you look at his numbers, maybe it's buoyed a little bit by a couple of big games, but he's 28, 14 and eight um, on, you know, 49, 47, 75 from the line. So, He's everything, man. I mean, he led both teams in shots. No player had more shots than him. And yeah, and he took thirty shots. I'd be Durant, how close, close Booker played more minutes, high. and they still didn't take thirty shots. I, I like that version. And you're right. Like the postseason, the last couple of years, we actually saw an aggressive Jokic. Um, it's fun to watch, man. You realize he's even be- like he seems even better than he was in the regular season. And I'm not. That's not to take away from Embiid's MVP, but. I just feel bad for this Nuggets team. They got slept on all year long, never talked yep. about. And at this point, gun to your head, you'd probably have them as a favorite coming out the West, given that they've got the 2-0 lead, or would you still take still, LA or Phoenix or Golden State? I have PTSD, I think, because I. this is, to your point, like Denver is the best team. They should get out of the West this season. They have the least flaws. They have the most continuity. They have the best player. So all of these things, and, you know, maybe aside from Golden State, you could argue they have the most depth, too, or maybe even more than Golden State, right? So they have it all. I think I would pick them right now to come out of the West. Um, Would I be absolutely stunned like nothing has ever surprised me more in my life if Phoenix win this series? No, but it would be pretty close. Uh, because I just don't see Phoenix. Like, I would be much more convinced. I think Golden State's the worst matchup for them just because of Steph and pick and roll and trying to, you know, Jokic drop coverage for Steph, it's game over. He doesn't have AD's recoverability or his length or his shot blocking instincts. I think I take Denver over the Lakers. And I take him over Phoenix, obviously. And it's just Golden State would be the one toss-up. I think I'd take Denver at this point, too. I mean, they survived... This last game, three for 15 with Jamal Murray. Um, you survive a game like that. You're getting contributions. KCP, that's your boy on the Wiz last year. Now Dude. playing big-time minutes for the Nuggets. One of the worst trades of all time. We traded him for Monty Morris and Will Barton, the latter of which we bought out midseason. How's Monty been for you guys? He's fine. I mean, he's like a... So, I mean, what was like... KCP going to give you? He, he has no Nothing. role in that team. That's true. Monty Morris is a nice backup, but we start him. He's probably a top, bottom five, worst point guard that starts for the that's NBA. Um, and the worst part is they're somehow committed to starting him again next year, I think. Which we didn't even talk about. Tommy Shepard is gone from D.C. How about that? That is, How happy – which was a bigger deal, when Shepard was gone or when uh, – Dan Snyder. Oh, Dan Snyder. Oh, Snyder. Because with with Snyder, it changes everything about everything. Like, literally, new ownership is the only one guaranteed way to really reset the true skeletons of your closet. And as bad as the Wizards have been, they're nowhere close to, like, the just dumpster fire of the Commanders franchise, right? And not only that, we know the guy we're getting. He's a known entity. Like, he's a great owner. Um, he's done wonders for the Sixers. He's been good for the Devils by all accounts. 
He's from the area, so he's got a vested interest, though. Dan Snyder grew up a Redskins fan, so I guess that's neither here nor there. Um, but he's a dude who's willing to spend money, knows how much his work is going to mean to the community because they wrecked this franchise in, in the by far the most beloved franchise in that city, and they wrecked it. So anything he does, he knows he's going to be like lauded like he's literally Jesus Christ uh, himself, and therefore way more excited about that. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, I'd argue that you're not that big of a Commanders fan, and only when it suits Yeah, because of Snyder. <laughs> he killed my, like, will to just even, like, root for the team. Everything he did was just abominable, both on and off the field. The other thing but, is, with Shepard being gone, somehow Ted Leonsis has still put out the decree that Wes Unsell Jr. is going to remain coach, <laughs> and they're going to hire from outside the organization. The top two names that were floated worked under Ernie Grunfeld. So, like, what the fuck are we talking about here? This is classic, classic um, Sacramento Kings of the 2010s. Yeah. The crazy thing is Tommy Shepard's been with the team in some capacity since 2003, been in the front office. That's 20 years. Thank you. Yes. And his, you know, and so his fingerprints, even though he hasn't been GM that long, his fingerprints have been all over some of that misery. Well, that that's, that's why I'm less excited also, because when we fired Grunfeld, I thought I was going to run naked into the streets, but then <laughs> they hired his second in command and were like, here's a fresh voice. And they even, you know, uh, retained executive search firm to run this whole process to only be like, yeah, why don't you just hire the second in command? He seems fine. <laughs> I mean, so, as, as, anyway. as both former consultants, we know how these, exactly. how these I know how these decks were reimagined and resurfaced and, did a couple of belief audits, synthesized some analysis, and put it right back on paper. Um, Wait, so will Ted Leonsis ever sell? Is that ever going to be a possibility? No, Do we need him to get no. caught in some scandal? Yeah, because he bought the team at a good good number. Not like amazing number like the Warriors or anything, but he bought them at a good number. Um, and they're also not valued the way the Warriors are. He's got this whole sports book like fantasy. He's already installed one in the stadium. He's all about like esports and gambling, and he owns the Capitals. He owns the uh, the the Wizards. He owns the Mystics. Um, he's trying to just do it all, and so he he's actually in on the Nationals now because oh, wow. they might be going up for sale, and so th- there's no chance he sells. I don't even know how much how he has this much money. Like he was in an AOL, like whatever. He came up with a little yellow icon. I think. <laughs> So uh, anyway, back to back to the uh, playoffs here. Um, what were we talking about? Oh yeah, so so Denver. We both like Denver to come out of the West. Um, anything Phoenix can do to get back in the series, aside from just going home. I don't know. I, I think game three is always critical. I feel like if you, I mean, if you're down two zero, you need to win game three. So do you? try anything different and risk it or do you kind of save that for a kitchen sink game later i want them uh is tj warren can they resurrect tj warren is that even possible we need we need bubble warren we need i want i just wanted them to do something different with their lineup like right now can we give some of those minutes between tory craig and Akogi to warren shamit's freaking terrible um, I don't know, Baisley. Like, can, I want them to try some different lineups and see if they can get any kind of juice out of anyone else. Because, you know, you, to your point, the problem is not Durant and Booker playing those heavy minutes. They can keep playing those minutes, but the problem is, like, they're tapping out what they can give you. It's not like there's some extra reserve of eight. You know, you play Durant for 
eight, 10 more minutes in the game to help your offense. They've already tapped out what they're getting from those two guys. And where's the off- offensive answer coming from? I just don't see anywhere on the roster. I don't know. And and they have to work so damn hard to get anything, right, offensively, because it's all isolation. If you look at Durant's numbers in these playoffs, they're obviously incredible. They're just 28, 9, and 5, 50, 36, 96. But you watch him, especially in a game like uh, you know, game two, he's missing shots he should make, sure, but he's also working so hard on every possession to get those looks. There's nothing easy. There's no cuts towards the basket. They don't shoot free throws. They barely shoot threes. They certainly don't make many threes. And they got guys who are either too scared or too shitty to, to make shots. And even Paul was scared to take threes. Don't even get me started on DeAndre Ayton and, and just kind of the shell he's become. So I don't know. Maybe Duran and Booker find a way to go superhuman, like combine for 80 kind of thing. And that gets you win. one game, right? Yeah, I was going to say that's one win, so I don't know. <laughs> And again, it's not like Durant, uh, Jokic is on the other side scared of anybody. He's still going to set them up and, and play his game no matter what's going on. Yeah, and so. I still respect Durant and Booker. I mean, Booker now is in a class of his own as well. That they can co- make this a series. They can come back. It's not over. It's just... I think they win game three, and it's all going to be about game four. Like yeah, I think they can win game three, too, and then it's about what do you do game four. It's just I've never seen a team so hampered with what they're able to do lineup-wise. Like... You know, the biggest comp for me with the Suns has always been the 2010-2011 Heat. Um, who, after the first six, after you go past Mike Miller, it it was the corpse of Mike Bibby, Carlos Arroyo. Um, you know, Do they have a... Uh, Jamal McGlore really might have been on that team. On, I was going to say, they had some really bad centers on that team. And I remember in the finals, right? Like, Spo was literally trying everything. Uh, I mean... They started with, I think, Bibby started in the finals, uh, despite not starting kind of all season and even in the playoffs. And at some, you're you're kind of limited to your your stars, and you have to ride with them. But at the same time, I think you got to tinker with the back end of the roster and see if you can get anything. Yeah, this reminds me. Um, Matt Ishbia was on Simmons Pod this uh, today, which was a good get. I was uh, impressed, yeah. but. He talked about how he's like, look, I'm not. First of all, he spoke like 10,000 words a minute. Like I was like, dude, relax. You sound like uh, you just are on speed and you cannot turn your brain off. (laughs) Excuse me. So um, he made the comment that was around, uh, you know, this isn't a three-year play. This Sorry, this isn't a three-month rental. This is a two, three-year, four play. And so that really tells me that he is thinking about this long-term. He's not thinking about, like, we got to win a title or bust. They have everyone under contract who they need to be. They can retool, to your point. They can add depth. They can make come back and look like year two of the Heat, where they actually have a more wholesome roster. Remember, that's when they got Ray Allen. That's when they got Shane Battier. That's when they filled out the team in a way that made sense. They're going to get veteran minimum guys, buyout guys, not buyout guys in the summer, but, uh, you know, mid-level exception guys, draft picks, um, they're going to be able to find a way to bolster this roster. This is not the season. This is a good run test case. But next year is when you're starting to look at them as like title or bust. I don't think this year is title or bust. For them. I agree. I That's the panic meter is not that high for them. Next it's year is title or bust for sure. It's high for Durant. That's the thing. We're like looping in Durant's legacy issues with the team's like expectations. It is high for Durant, but I think 
I don't know if the Suns lose the series, it's not going to be a catastrophic failure, right? I don't think anyone's going to look at it that way, even though maybe it should be. Like, this team is stacked. Well, everything he does, that's why, right? Everything he does is under a microscope because of the way he's created this narrative around himself and the way it's kind of his own doing, right? With the super team team ups, with the Kyrie blow up, with now demanding the trade with four years left to Phoenix. Every situation he's asked to be in besides Golden State has not worked for one reason or the other. And there's a longer pod we have to do maybe this summer when this, all the smoke is done about Kevin Durant and his legacy. Because I think uh-huh. he's one of the most fascinating careers uh, we've had in, in, in modern NBA. And in a weird way, he's both star-crossed and he's incredibly overrated for his true impact, <laughs> um, which is a weird thing to say for what people generally consider to be a top 15 player ever. Yeah, and I think the the one kind of sliding doors moment will always be the the foot on the line against the Bucks. Yep. If because we talked a little bit about Giannis, if Giannis lost that series, oh my god! And yeah. of course, your career could change different, turn out differently. But let's say he lost that series and everything else played out as it did, that would be the most colossal playoff choker, given the resume, given the accolades, the stats to have that mm-hmm. postseason resume. It's already looking pretty bad given that he's got one title, but every, every star player has their, you know, uh, shortcomings in the playoffs. But that one to me is one that could have catapulted Durant to another level of conversation mm-hmm. and completely changed the way we talk about Giannis. And so you talk about being star, like some of the bad luck he's had. I think that moment tops them all. Forget the injuries, forget anything else that's happened in his career. It's that single play. Well, it's interesting because if he doesn't tear his Achilles, they probably beat the Raptors, right? I don't know. That's how I feel. But at that point, um, like that three titles versus the two with the Warriors, it's not really adding much. It's three titles. It's three finals MVPs, presumably. Um, though I guess he maybe he wouldn't have played the whole series. Maybe Steph wins one. But three titles. some reason, that feels better than two. Uh, and it's a three-peat, which LeBron never did, right? Which Duncan never did. It's really just Shaq and Kobe and Jordan, right? So there's some and Pippen. So there's some element of that being part of it. But yeah, I agree. It's not going to be worth that much more. The toe on the line is such a fascinating one because, like you said, it would have blown up the Bucks. Giannis would have still been ringless and he would have been in like kind of where the Embiid Jokic camp is, which is like, okay, you guys are MVPs. When are you going to start proving it, right? And winning something. So he would have still been in that camp. We would have totally thought about him differently. And then. Brooklyn, even with this like injured Kyrie, sort of injured Harden, what they would have beaten Atlanta round in round three, and then you actually play Phoenix, and it's very interesting because like if those guys are healthy, they they probably win. If they're not healthy, I think Phoenix wins that series because they were up two one on Milwaukee before Giannis went God mode, right? So maybe Chris Paul and Booker have rings now. They don't do this like it all is this crazy like who knows what will happen just off six inches of his foot. Because people forget that wasn't just six inches like, you know, you it's a it was a buzzer beater. It wasn't like six inches, but then like the Bucks have one more possession. No, the game would, would have been over. Yep. So, um, fascinating career. Who, between injuries, between weird seasons, between strange roster constructions, midseason trades, now like he hasn't had that many rosters and teams that were truly locked and loaded to win a title. And I think some of that does fall on his shoulders too because he's got to bring that level of excellence to a team just the same way Jokic 
is doing now the same way we've seen LeBron do in the past. We've seen Giannis do. And I think he just does it a little bit less effectively. I think he's a more of a ceiling raiser than he is a floor raiser. And that's strange for championship type, all time type performers. It is. I just wonder what his career would look like if he never went to the Warriors. I know this is beaten to death, but he'd have no titles. If if Kevin well, Durant if had no Boston, title, maybe if he went to Boston, maybe he would that's the where I thought he should have gone, right? But so it's no, I'm just no, saying that, that would have been hor- That would have literally been the worst thing of all time. Do not ever say that. I would have rather him gone to Boston. That would have been his team with Simmons and Rosillo doing five to six episodes a oh, week. Oh, actually, that every would be, week that would be miserable. Every week since then. And given how much he loves KD as well on top of the Boston pieces. He would have had all sorts of think pieces around KD over LeBron. You better believe that. That is true, but his... He would have never... He's already trying to push the the Steph over LeBron. um, Which is insane to me. It's insane. People aren't even ready to have the Steph versus Kobe discussion, which I think is one that's worth having. So how can he jump into the LeBron stratosphere? People try to com- compare them directly just because they've met so many times. I-, I think it's ridiculous. Yeah, who who's met? Uh, LeBron and uh, Steph. Oh, oh, I thought you meant like Kobe and Steph. I was like, what? Do they like hang out a bunch? Is that why they're like in comparison? Like, what does that even mean? Okay, yeah, yeah, LeBron and Steph. Well, yeah, that's. Yeah, I was also thinking, is this finally when we get LeBron versus Durant, which we haven't even seen them play in five years, but Jokic has other ideas. <laughs> I don't even think about that. The fact that that's not even a matchup that we're talking about, like, oh, we might get LeBron, Durant in the next round. That says everything about I think because our, our minds are warped, right? Because we see Phoenix and we don't think Durant immediately. You think Paul that's and true. Booker. Yeah. Um, all right. Jumping to the East, and we got to go quick. Um <laughs> Harden, game one, maybe the best playoff game of his career. You got to win that game, though, you know? I You can't, and I, I said the same thing about the Lakers last night, you cannot be up or be in contention against a team that's favored, especially in Harden's case when they're heavily underdogs. I think they were 10.5-point dogs at tip because Embiid didn't play and not come away with that because then it would have been a quick series for Boston. They would have still won tonight, and I think they would have won in five. Now Embiid's back. You know, he didn't play that well tonight, but they also got blown out. Um, where are you at with this series? Just the back and forth. I mean, obviously game one was unexpected, but you think it's a blip or you think it's something where Philly has a real chance uh, to open the door here? I think it's a blip. I mean, I think you game plan for a team like Philly. You're not used to them playing without uh, Embiid. I mean, today they their offense was a lot more stuck in the mud. They're running everything through Embiid, and it wasn't as fluid game one. It was popping. They were getting good looks. I just think Boston was caught off guard a little bit, given that mm-hmm. you, you can't really plan for that. And, and you know, I, look, I have a soft spot for Harden. I've always said that. I think he gets too much hate. He had an amazing game. But he himself, right after that game, had to have a quote about, you know, people say I'm washed, but I can, I can still get mine, right? I just choose to play a different style. I'm like, dude, you can't wait one game and talk like that because today he went two for 14. That so it's so like this is exactly what back. the knock is on him. It's not about you can't go for 40 in a given game. It's that you put up clunkers. And two for 14 is not like a, oh, eight for 19, under 50% shooting, whatever. It's a, it's a clunker. Yeah. So I, I think that was disappointing to see Harden kind of revert to that. 
Embiid obviously is hobbled. So I, I actually see Boston winning this in five or six. Oh, wow. six, six. I don't think it's going seven. I think game one was kind of smoke and mirrors from, from Philly. I'm throwing tonight out actually, because I think there was no earthly way that the Celtics were going to lose tonight. And so I'm kind of waiting till game three to make a determination on this series, especially with Embiid coming back. Like you said, it looked disjointed. It looked like they were trying to get him back into a rhythm. And, you know, they competed in the first half and they were only down eight. I thought they were playing okay. And then they just, you know, the Celtics went, you know, just scorched earth in that third quarter, hitting everything. Brogdon and Brown were incredible. So I'm chalking it up to like this was a schedule loss for Philly after being up 1 0. And they're playing a team that, you know, for example, Miami also had an alleged schedule loss in game two and they almost won that one. So it doesn't mean that. Philly couldn't have won or wasn't trying to win. Boston's just that good, and they're definitely not going to lose two in a row at home. I bet you Boston wins game three, and then everyone relaxes again. Philly wins game four, and... Then game five. Game five is probably Boston, and then I think game six, to your point, maybe Boston. I don't know. <laughs> so you're I just have... you're ending up with the same conclusion. No, I, I want this to go to seven. I want Embiid to have a moment. He just got the MVP uh, tonight, actually. I wonder if he played for that reason, too, to try to – or it was just announced last night, but he'll get it at game three. He'll get it. He'll be presented with Yeah, it'll be in front of the home crowd. Yeah. So I was going to say, wait, why would they give it to him in Boston? Um but he was just announced as MVP, so I think he wanted to play. Um, I thought I think they were probably just better off resting him and punting because, again, with or without him, Boston wasn't losing tonight. What is it with Boston, though, that last year they were juggernaut to close out the season. They got to the finals. They looked good in the first couple of games. This year, I don't know what it is about them, but they don't – last year defensively, they're a menace offensively. Even th- this year when Tatum goes off, they just don't – they feel beatable. They have all these games where – yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it, but it just – like I'm not – you know, a lot has been made of the Knicks being good against Boston in the regular season this year. I'm, I don't think that will translate, but I really buy into this idea that no one is afraid of that Boston team. I don't think Miami is. I don't think the Knicks are. And so I might be kind of jumping the gun by saying Philly's done in the series. I'm just worried. The Embiid injury worries me. Harden's inconsistency worries me. And I think they need to get those guys to have their A games in order to beat Boston. So it's it's there for the taking. I just. Yeah, I think there's a couple things, right? One is there is a clear issue where they're just lackadaisical compared to years past. Um, Simmons and, and uh, Chris Mannix talked about today. Is it lack of leadership? Is it Joe Missoula being in over his head? Is it just a little bit of boredom because they've now made several deep runs and finally got all the way to the finals, so round two doesn't excite them anymore? You would think by the fact that they did not win a title that they would be as hungry as ever to get back there. But it does feel like there's a little bit of sloppiness. Um, Secondly, they've just had a couple older guys who are just not quite as good this year. Smart's not as good. Um, you know, Horford doesn't look as good to me as he did in years past. You got Robert Williams, who's in and out of the lineup. Brown and Tatum, to their credit, have continued to get better every year. And I would say this is their best seasons for both of them or up there, right? Tatum is now going to be back-to-back first-team All-NBA. So he's been a bona fide top five to ten guy. Brown will make his first All-NBA team. And so you you have guys, your stars are going to be able to push you forward. But it just feels like there's not enough continuity 
They don't really know kind of who is going to play in which moments. Everybody thinks they should play. Everyone thinks that they're the crunch time guys. And you really only have two guys who definitely, definitely count on in Brown and Tatum. And everything becomes a little bit amorphous around them. That being said, they're so talented. And they don't play any bad players. And they don't play any non-two-way players. And I think that's such an advantage compared to most everyone else in the league that it keeps their floor really high and keeps them like likely to be in and slash win every game. That's a huge, huge advantage for them in every series they go into. It's that there's no significant weaknesses on it either end of the floor. Um, yep. But this series, I don't know, this series should year, feel but... more, I feel like Milwaukee losing has just deflated the Eastern Conference for me. I know. Um, like, because these are the two juggernauts and they're already going head to head and Embiid feels like not healthy. Eastern Conference Finals is not going to be that exciting. I just, oh man, I'm mad at the Bucks for dropping that series. I think Jimmy could give us some moments in the Conference Finals just because he's never going to go away, but he's always going to feel like he's fighting with like not a full deck of cards. And I don't know if uh, Hero is going to be back by then or not. I don't know what the word is on him, but they might if be he's out without him. Yeah, maybe, especially with with Gabe Vincent and freaking. Max Struess and Kyle Lowry resurrecting out of nowhere. The Heat are crazy, man. I'm glad I don't hate the Heat because if I did, they would drive me insane. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> um, you're just like, when, how do you put these guys down? Like, what is going on? Um, so anyway, so I think Boston is, is um, they're probably going to still win the East. I and, and honestly, depending on who they play, you might even favor them in the finals. So I'm not worried about them yet. I just feel like, Kind of like how I felt about Golden State last year, where I was sort of unimpressed with them up until the point that they're holding up the trophy. It could be very similar with with Boston, where you're just like not in love with the way they've played, but they still represent more consistency, even despite all like the in-game inconsistency they have, where they'll be up 20 and then randomly lose the lead. Generally speaking, they have the best team to get up 20 every game, and that's a that's a pretty big advantage. Which series would you rather see? Boston, LA, you know, the rivalry, LeBron versus Tatum, or Sixers versus Nuggets. The oh, MVP, easily. past MVPs back at it. Which one? Dude, easily Sixers, Nuggets. I thought you were going to ask me Boston, Golden State, and then I just end the podcast prematurely. Oh, then you say Boston. Oh, no, just because you hate both teams. <laughs> yeah, I would just turn my mic off and I'd say, see you later. No, from a basketball standpoint, though, like what would be more interesting to you? I honestly think Denver, Philadelphia would be more more interesting because I think they play unique, fun styles. So does Boston and LA. That would be a style contrast as well. But I think I like, I want fresh blood. We would have obviously never seen either team in a final. Both teams, the Nuggets have never won a championship. The, the Sixers haven't won in 40 years. So there's some pretty amazing kind of um, storylines there. And then to top it off, the Sixers, if they lose, would have lost in the Super Bowl with the Eagles, oh, yeah. the World Series with the Phillies, and the MLS Cup with Philadelphia Union. So it'd be very, very funny for a sports uh, town that I very much despise. That would be interesting. <laughs> I didn't even realize. But I think all of the Jokic and Bede fanboys who are just constantly yelling at each other about this MB- MVP debate, oh, what better God. way to settle it than from an actual championship? It would be insufferable. Really Can you imagine just being on Twitter, like game after game, the overreaction swinging? Yep, yep. It'd be bad. Can't wait. It's possible, but unlikely. I think Boston, Denver seems like the likeliest. Ugh, um, that that just, ugh, that sounds so, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. 
Or Denver, Miami. What about that one? <laughs> put a, put imagine, the whole finals like, on NBA TV. No one cares. Could you imagine Knicks-Lakers? That would be crazy. But the Knicks just, I don't know. They still feel like too... We should go to the Knicks heat now. We might as well. That's the last series. Yeah, let's finish it up. The Knicks, it still feels gimmicky to me. I know Knicks fans are going to hate me saying that. They won game two. They pulled it out. Tough game. Jim, no Jimmy Butler. Um, I I just, I don't know what it is about them. I love the story. I love the hype. To me, it's like the Kings. It's like they're only going to go so far. I don't realistically see this team. I, I I was very, very surprised by how they came out in game two. That was the how flat they were. The fact that Miami was up for a good chunk of that game. Or at least a part of them in the middle of that game. I'm not sold. So, yes, Knicks Lakers yeah. should be interesting, but I am not that impressed. I am impressed with the crowd, the hype, the just enthusiasm at MSG. But well, I think it's like this, right? Like Jalen Brunson, as phenomenal as he's been, he's not a tier one guy, right? Oh. We know this. Like Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum, Joel Embiid, like Kevin Durant. Every team has at least one, if not two, of these guys that are left in the playoffs, and the Knicks are the only one that don't have one. Brunson's been incredible. Um, he is every bit as good as advertised, and he's just an absolute stud in crunch time, all those kinds of things. But you always feel in your mind that his ceiling is limited, and so therefore the team's ceiling limited. And you can extend that exact comment to Julius Randle, who will probably be named All-NBA, was an All-Star. Um, and so there's a ton of you know resume credibility this season from what those guys have done, yet you're never going to feel super awesome if your two best players are Brunson and Randall as it relates to competing for a championship. And so I think that's where the, the sort of anxiety comes from. And then you throw in dudes like RJ Barrett, who's super inconsistent, but played well quickly. Same thing, young and unproven Mitchell Robinson, who again was incredible versus Cleveland. And then, you know, what's he going to bring series to series? Who knows? Versus I think a Miami team that has a more proven pedigree has been to the finals with this core um, you know, has a player who on some nights looks like a top five player in the world in Jimmy Butler. So, you know, it's weird <laughs> when they're so competitive when he doesn't play, but I think when he plays, it gives them a slight edge. That being said, I, I, I think the Knicks might, are going to win the series. Oh, I, think I still think the Knicks will probably win. I, I think Miami is playing. It's it's still smoke and mirrors. You're not Struess, Vincent. Like, how much can you rely on these guys game We're in and game out to keep crazy from three too? Like right? that that there's going to be regression from both those guys. Uh yeah, I I think New York wins. My my point is, I just don't. New York versus Boston, New York versus Philly. Maybe, but New York will get wrecked by Philly. But I actually think they've played well. They match Boston. up well against Boston. Yeah. But that means regular season's a whole different animal, right? Playoffs is a little different. The matchups are different. The minutes, et cetera. Um, I just love that Brunson's not afraid of any dumb, damn buddy. And that's just like a cool thing to see. Also, shout out to Colin, who gave us a ton of shit and wanted us to acknowledge our mistake and saying Brogdon was a sixth man of the year <laughs> instead of quickly. Well, Colin, your boy quickly is straight ass. <laughs> he has been so bad. Can't even get out of the doghouse for for Tibbs. Uh, his minutes have been reduced. Like, I think this this he, solves the the who should have won Sixth Man of the Year question right here. Yeah. By the way, Brogdon had like twenty five tonight. 
Yeah. Ho hum. Yeah, quickly, 35% from the field, 24% from three in the playoffs thus far. Eight points, one assist. That is not what you want to see. Um, Josh Hart, I mean, he's been a revelation, right? Like the best five-man unit in the playoffs this year is Barrett, Randall, Brunson, Robinson, and Hart. I don't think any role player's stock has gone up as much as Josh Hart. I feel like every broadcast we talk about, oh, uh, like what was the team that should have had him? Um, oh, Cleveland. Cleveland should have had him, right? The, the Kings yeah. you know, Kings fans are like, oh, the Kings should have gone to Josh Hart. He's now become this prized possession that New York won and is like, and I get it. Like he has been amazing for them. It's just funny how much he's been hyped up uh, this offseason. Or sorry, this yeah. postseason. And yeah. um but yeah, man, he plays hard. He's the kind of guy you'd want on any team. He flies in for those offensive boards time and time and again. It's it's fun to watch. Well, that's the thing, because even when he's not shooting when he's shooting the ball well, that's all gravy, right? Because you do not expect that from him whatsoever. Even if he's not shooting the ball well, you know he's gonna make all the hustle plays, you know he's gonna crash the glass, you know he's gonna defend. Um, and so I, I, especially that Cleveland series, he had a couple big threes, even last game, he didn't shoot well, but he had a triple double. You just feel great about him on the floor. You feel like he's going to make the right winning play. Um, almost a little bit like Andrew Wiggins was for, uh, the Warriors last year where he was defending, he was rebounding. Um, you know, he was scoring at times, but he didn't have to score to have a positive impact on the game. That's how I feel about Josh Hart. And you know, he's the ultimate tips guy. So so tell me this. Why do I feel and maybe I'm wrong with this? Maybe why do I feel like the three and D in the NBA has somewhat vanished? I feel like five years ago, six years ago, there were so many three and D guys. Trey Crowder, uh Wesley Matthews. I feel like now you have a lot of guys who can shoot but can't play D, or you have a lot of offensively limited defensive wings. Am I yeah. is that just me or is well, I think they're all on the Nets. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, actually, they're all stacked the, on one team. The Nets cornered the market on them, and so the Nets weren't good enough to have the 3 and D guys continue to be playing, but nobody else can have them because they're all sitting on one roster. Um, no, I think it's true. I, I, I don't know. I think it's the role itself, I would say, has evolved a little bit. You don't see as many standstill three-point shooters and defenders. Like Even a guy like KCP, who is, like to your point, 3 and D who's still yep. playing and still kicking. He can do more than just 3 and D. He puts the ball on the floor. He sometimes gets out on the break. I think in general what we're seeing is you have to be able to be a little bit more dynamic with the ball in your hands, and there's not a lot of specialists who can't do anything. Um, I'd say even if you look at Atlanta, like Capella played well at times, but Okongwu was probably their better big, right? Yep. Because Okongwu is a little bit more skilled, and he's not just like, okay, pick and then roll to the rim alley-oops and then rebounds like he has a little bit more skill to him than that and you know I think we're starting to see like there's just so many good players that it's difficult to just stand there and and be be valuable I think you have to do a bit more which is what's so amazing about PJ Tucker that he's actually standing there and doing nothing and still you know logging almost 40 minutes a night which is which is incredible yeah yeah well that makes sense all right so that is a wrap for us we um I think this weekend is going to be awesome because all four games will be on. Um, we're pretty much going like 
every other day for most of these series until game sixes and sevens where it gets a little spread out so they can get another weekend. But I'm really, really excited for this. I'm actually out of town next week, so we'll figure out kind of recording schedule. Where are you heading? This. Going to London. Uh, yeah. A little extended weekend, Wednesday to Monday kind of thing. So um, we'll see what the recording thing is like. But, you know, I did it from Florence on the honeymoon, which still gets talked about. So maybe <laughs> I can pull punches and do it from London as well. <laughs> it's a global podcast. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, I think I'm excited. When's Lakers Warriors game two? Is that tomorrow? Is that Friday? It's tomorrow night, Thursday night, tomorrow night. Thursday okay. night. And then, uh, then they play Saturday. Friday, we get Suns Nuggets. Both of those, I think are going to be very interesting right off the bat, yeah. because I really want to see if, if, if the Lakers can steal another one, I don't see it happening, but if they can, and then how the Suns bounce back on, uh, on Friday. I wish the Suns had found a way to win game two just so we could have four series that were likely 1-1 because I yeah. just think that would be more intriguing and then you know you're in for several long series and I don't know what round three is going to bring depending on the matchups, uh, but round two, like these are big-time matchups that we're getting so early in the playoffs, so we're excited about it. Yep. All right, please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on social media. We will talk to you next week, maybe. Um, from from Buckingham Palace uh, live live recording a week after the coronation. So thanks for listening and talk to you.